0: We'll continue to pray for Frank. Let's pray for Frank, um, who's in the uh, re- rehabilitation. He's uh, rehabilitating at the English Oaks. He's at English Oaks. So we'll pray for Frank. And uh, let's remember to pray for Betty as well. huh? Okay, so let's let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father God, we, do, we pray for Frank right now, Lord, Frank Tester. And we just pray your healing hand upon him, Lord. Um, As he goes through his rehabilitation, please, Lord, just strengthen him and be with him and just give him him total healing, Father. We thank you, God. Also for Betty, uh, we just, uh, well, as well, put your hand upon Betty, please, Lord, and give her your healing touch, Lord, and and your strength and uh, your peace and your joy in her heart, Lord. Just be with her and uh, be her help uh, at this time, Father. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, everyone, I want to mention that yesterday we had a fantastic men's breakfast. And I want to give a couple people special, uh, special, um, you know, uh, announce. Uh, well, Joe put it all together. Joe organized it, got it all together. Joe Ramirez. He bought all the things that we needed. Danny... Danny had his famous pancakes that he made for us that were fantastic. Um, And Eddie did the great cooking. Eddie, I don't see him here today. uh, But Eddie uh, broke his arm. He was still cooking. He was cooking with a broken arm. He did a wonderful, wonderful job. And then uh, Brother Greg delivered a beautiful, beautiful message. So we had 18 18 guys yesterday, 18 gentlemen. So praise the Lord. Amen. That was great. That was really, really a great breakfast. Uh, also mention, let's see, uh, you might, uh, if you didn't get a, a newsletter yet, Cynthia has put those together so beautifully. So when you see her, you might want to give, give her a thank you. Oh, thank you, Bonnie. You want to hold it up? anybody see that newsletter? I, there you go. And uh, Cynthia put those together for us. So let's remember to give her a special thank you for that, okay? All right. Well, this morning... You know, as we uh, as we begin. By the way, we're going to be turning. If you want to prepare, to First Corinthians thirteen, and uh, continuing our series called "Love Is." But before before we get there, I want to mention that, you know, right now, in uh, the war that's going on in Ukraine, uh, the uh, United Nations uh, inspection team has made it into uh, the largest nuclear plant. In Europe, and uh, Joe's ready. you ready to read, Joe. Uh, you're standing. You're ready to go. Uh, the, the The largest nuclear plant in Europe, and what what is what is their purpose to, of doing that? They want to uh, avert any catastrophe, and they want to inspect any damage, any major damage. Now, there was a nuclear plant that had catastrophe and had major nuclear damage back in 2011. Now, this is not Chernobyl. You might remember this was a nuclear plant in Fukushima, Japan. And that uh, the damage there was caused by a tsunami. And the tsunami that hit caused th- resulted in three uh, major meltdowns in that nuclear plant. Now, at that time, there were 200 retired uh, Japanese uh, workers from the plant that volunteered to go in, to go in and fix the uh, nuclear crisis. The thing is, by going in, they were going to expose themselves to radiation. This uh, group of volunteers, they were called the Skilled Veterans Corps, they went in, and after they fixed the crisis, the leader of that group Uh, by the name of Yasatura Yamada, explained why they did it, explained why they went in. And this is what he said. He said, his group exposed themselves to radiation, he said, so the young people wouldn't have to. And I quote. He says, I'm 72. And on average, I'll probably live, I'll probably have 13 to 15 years left of life. Even if I were exposed to radiation, Cancer would take 20 to 30 years to develop. The older ones have less chance of getting cancer, he said. See, although many people saw Yamada as a hero, he just saw this as a purely logical decision. But you know what? Essentially, what he was doing is laying down his life for these young people. Yamada and his group set an example for the church. We are supposed to lay down our lives for one another. Uh, You know, that's the way of love. That's the way of the Lord. That's the way, as we heard last week, learned last week, that is the most excellent way. You know, God's love is easy to talk about. You know, following the way of God's love is easy to talk about. But it's not always so easy to do. Love takes commitment. Love. Take sacrifice, love, take service. Yeah. And as we're going to read in just a moment, the Apostle Paul gives a list again. We'll read the same list we saw last week. Again, list of what love is, list, list of what God's love is, agape love. So now if you're ready, let's go ahead and uh, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're beginning verses, reading verses one Through eight, And if you're able and willing, if you'll stand. And and thank you, Joe, for leading us. I didn't mean to embarrass you. Thank you for leading us, being the first one. Amen. Um, Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 8. Okay, and it's up on the screen, and it says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that I can move mountains, but if I have no love, I'm nothing. If If I give all my possession to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. never fails amen you may be seated amen what a list huh the apostle paul when he gives us this list this is really a measure of christian maturity of Christian maturity, right after this, in verse 11, he talks about growing mature in maturity in Christ. He says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. We as Christians are to give up self-centered, childish ways and grow into maturity in Jesus Christ. Maturity in Jesus Christ. And how do we grow into maturity in Jesus Christ? We grow in maturity in Jesus Christ to follow the way of love. If you have an outline, a bulletin, there would be an outline on the back if you'd like to follow. To follow the way of love. Pursue it. Pursue the way of love as a pattern for your life. Pattern your life after the design of Jesus' love. This, these scriptures paint a portrait of Jesus' love that we are to follow. In this series that we're doing called uh, Love Is, there, we're going to come up now this morning with three more characteristics of what love is. And these are all in verse 5. Okay, these are three more. And so let's begin. The first characteristic of love that we see from verse 5 is this. Love Is considerate. It's considerate. It says in your Bible in verse 5. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. In other words. A New Living Translation says it this way. It's not rude. Love is not rude. Uh, In other words. It doesn't act in an inconsiderate way, to persons that it is with. It doesn't act in a way that will hurt others, disgrace others, disrespect others. Love is considerate. It doesn't seek its own happiness at at the expense of somebody else's injury. Love is considerate. Love is considerate. It doesn't, it, it, it thinks about the well-being of others. It lives to do good for others. It seeks to honor others. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's what love does. It honors It honors others. Those workers at Fukushima, those volunteers were honoring the young people. They were honoring them by looking out, thinking about their well-being, by wanting to do good for them, by seeking to honor them. Love is considerate. Love is considerate. It considers the conditions of others. Titus chapter 3, verse 2. It says, live peacefully and be considerate. You see, being considerate is the way to live peacefully. Because when you're being considerate, you're looking at the concerns of another person. You're looking at the cares of another person. You're not trying to fight against them to get your own way. You're being considerate. You are being considerate. Verse 5 says, love is not self-seeking. Another translation says it does not seek its own. Remember, Paul is writing to a church that's having divisions. They're having conflict, and he's explaining to them, remember, you are one body in Jesus Christ, and as one body, you all have different gifts. If we look at chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, what we just read, we're going to see where Paul explains that to, him, to them. He's, you know, he's telling them, don't dishonor each other to be divided, but honor one another to stay united. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Paul says it like this. He says, the, and I'm reading from the New International Version. He says, the, I, you know, here's, here's one thing before I read it. Here's one thing he's trying to get, get across to them, and it's one, something the Bible tries it wants to get across to us. We all need each other. Amen? We all need each other. No one part of the body can say, I don't need you. Now, let's look. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Continuing on to verse 24. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. Did you catch that? Equal concern for each other. Equal care for each other. Equal consideration for each other. Love is considerate. It's considerate. The apostle Paul. Tells us this, you know, we're coming up on football season. Anybody football fans here? <laughs> all right, go Niners! Right? Ah, I don't know. what you Oh no, no! Like I said, the wrong team there. <laughs> anyway, that's my team. But you know, right now we're preseason. We're preseason. One of the greatest football coaches of all time was a man by the name of Vince Lombardi. Anybody know that name? Vince Lombardi, Lee Iacocca who is also a great automaker in his day, a visionary automaker, interviewed Lombardi one time about what it takes to have a winning team. All right, to have a winning team. This is what Lombardi said, and it's in uh, the book called Iacocca. And he says this. He says, there's a lot of coaches with great clubs who know the fundamentals. They have plenty of discipline, but they don't win games. Then You come to the third ingredient. If you're going to play together as a team, you've got to care for one another. You've got to love each other. Each player has to be thinking about the next guy and saying to himself, if I don't block that man, Paul's going to get his leg broken. I have to do my job well in order that he can do his. He says the difference between a mediocre team and a great team is the feeling these guys have for each other. What's he saying? A winning team, they got to have equal concern. they got to have equal care. they got to have equal consideration for each other. That, that's the formula for a winning team, whether it's at church, whether it's at home, even on the job. Being considerate. Love is considerate. Love doesn't just think of itself. It says it right there in verse 5. It's not self-seeking. It, it, it thinks about the needs of others. It isn't just self-oriented. It's other-oriented. It doesn't just say, what do I want? It says, what do you want? Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, Let no man think of his own interests only, but also to the interests of others. Love is considerate. Love is considerate. It seeks to honor others. It seeks to look at the needs and the interests of others. It seeks to be considerate. So the first first characteristic of love is that it is considerate. Number two, love is controlled. What does it say in verse 5? It says, love, it it says this, it is uh, not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. New Living Translation, it is not irritable. It's not edgy. It doesn't have an edgy temper. It's not touchy. It doesn't turn to anger for the solution of all its problems. Love is controlled. A person who loves with the love of God is a person who is able to control their spirit. You know, the Bible says the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Galatians 5, verse 23. It is controlled by the Spirit of God. You know, there's an epidemic today in America of anger. Do you know that? I mean, you see it on both sides of the political aisle. You see it uh, almost daily with the shootings you see on the news. You see it on the road, the way people are acting. There's an epidemic of anger. People getting out of control. Losing it. You know the thing about the word anger? It's only one letter away from the word danger. (laughs) For you Wordle fans, anybody do Wordle? My wife does Wordle. You know, it's a little word game online. You put a D in front of the word anger, what do you got? Danger. And that D stands for dumb. (laughs) Right? We get angry, we do dumb things. And some things, those dumb things, sometimes those dumb things can cost us big time. Amen? Numbers chapter 20. If you like to turn with me there, you may. <clears throat> We're going to take a look at Moses. Numbers. Numbers chapter 20. That's toward the first part of your Bible. Give you a second to turn there if you like. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book of the Bible. Numbers chapter 20. This is where Israel was in the desert. They've been wandering in the desert 40 years. And now. They are grumbling. They're complaining. They're quarreling to Moses. And let's pick it up. Let's pick it up at verse 4. Numbers chapter 20 and verse 4. Here's what it says. It says this. Uh, why? They're, here they are talking to Moses. Why did you bring the Lord's community in, into the wilderness? In this, this wilderness, that, we, that our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt in this terrible place? It has no f- grain or figs, grapefruit or pomegranate, and there's no water. There's no water to drink, Moses. So Moses g- t- takes his brother Aaron. They go into the tent, the, the, the tabernacle, and they go face down before God, hands on the ground, praying to God. You know, was that wrong? No, that was right. That was exactly the right thing to do. They didn't have an answer. They needed an answer from the Lord. Let's pick it up, verse 7. God gives Moses an answer. And he says this. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff. You and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock. Those important words right there, by the way. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You'll bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Okay. What did, Mo- what did God tell Moses to do to the rock? Ah, speak. Speak to the rock. Was Moses obedient? Let's find out. Here you go. Here you go. Verse 9 and 11. Moses is so angry. He's so frustrated, he's going to call them rebels, you rebels. What does he do? Let's take a look. Verse nine and 10. Verse nine and 10. Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as He commanded. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, "Listen, you rebels. <laughs> must we bring rock? Must we bring water out of this rock?" Moses. He raises up his arm and he hits the rock. And then he hits it again. I mean, he hit it plenty hard. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm surprised that staff didn't break. <laughs> what did he do? He lost his temper. He, he was controlled by his anger. Now, as I said, anger has its consequences. What was the consequences for Moses? Let's take a look. Verse 12. Verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of these Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. You see, Moses would not be able to go into the promised land. He'd be able to go up on the mountain, he could see the promised land from the mountain. Uh, he'd go up on the mountaintop to see the land, and it was on the mountaintop, uh, Moses would die. You see, it was a consequence of his anger. He paid the consequence of his anger. How do we, how do we handle anger? It says it right here in verse 5, love is not easily angered. Good question, isn't it? something we all struggle with, isn't it? Let's think. Let's think. In other words, what do we need to do? First, we need God's help, amen? We need God's help. We need God's help to control our anger, and we need God's spirit to control our mind. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 6 says this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. It says, the mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. You see, we we, we need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. We need His Spirit controlling us. Either either we're controlled by our sinful mind or we're controlled by the Spirit of God. It's one or the other. Now, verse 7 of Romans 8, it says the, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It's hostile. It doesn't have any peace with God. No God, no peace. But again, as you Wordle fans might know, you put a few extra letters in that word, no, you can change the meaning altogether. Let's do it. Let's try it. No God, K N O W, no peace. K N O W. You see, when you know God, you know His peace. God brings you His peace when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says God gives you his peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us peace. He gives us his peace to live by. He gives us his peace to live by. So then, here's the thing. Here's the thing. As far as controlling your anger, you've got to be wise in the ways that you work with your anger. Notice when you have the anger starting to build up in you. Notice when you're starting to go to a boiling point. Notice it. You know, Seneca, one of the great philosophers Seneca said once said this, the greatest response to anger is delay. In other words, get away. Take a break. Take a walk. Go for a jog. Yes, count to 10. <laughs> Remove yourself. Give yourself time and space to cool down. Love is not easily angered. It's controlled. It's controlled. God wants us to have control of our spirit. He, he, he want, We're not to be controlled by the spirit of anger. We are to be controlled by the spirit of God. By the spirit of God. All right. So number two, in what love is it, it that love is controlled. Not only is love considerate, not only is love controlled, but third and finally, love is forgiving. Verse 5, verse 5. Back in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 5, it says this. It says, "It it keeps no record of wrong. It keeps no, another translation says, it pays no attention to suffered wrong. See the word records there? Keeps no record of wrongs. All right. The word record there, I just lost my top. <laughs> my <water laughs> top. Is, a, is an accountant's word. It's an accountant, a word you would write on a ledger or a notebook to keep track, okay, to, to keep a right account. And the meaning, the thought here is this, you keep a right account so you can settle accounts. To get even, huh? Love does not do that. Love does not do that. Love forgives. Love forgives. Okay? It doesn't take a record every time something does, someone does evil, something evil to you, doesn't take a record and hold it against somebody so you can get back at them, uh-uh, uh-uh. Love forgives. It's, it's, not to forgive is too much work. Did you know that? Not to forgive is too much work. You build up a resentment, you rehearse it in your mind, and all of a sudden you got this grudge, and you're carrying around this grudge, and that grudge is a burden. It's a burden. You know, it's a burden. You need to be free from unforgiveness. And the only way to be free, you know, it becomes a cancer. That grudge becomes a cancer inside of you, inside your thinking. And the only way to get... Free from it. The only way to get healed from it is to what? Forgive. Forgive. I want you to listen to the words of a Christian counselor by the name of Lewis Mead. What he says about forgiveness. He says this. He says in his book called Forgive and Forget. He says carrying a grudge is a loser's game. He says this. It is ultimately, it is the ultimate frustration because it leaves you with more pain than you had in the first place. Recall the pain of being wronged, the hurt of being stung, cheated, demeaned. Doesn't the memory of it fuel the fire of fury again? You know it does, don't you? It brings back all the emotions. You go over it all again. Do you feel that hurt each time your memory lights on people who did you wrong? Your own memory becomes a videotape within your soul that plays unending reruns of your old rendezvous with pain. Is this fair to yourself, he says, this wretched justice of not forgiving? The only way to heal the pain that will not heal itself is to forgive. Forgive the person who hurt you. Forgiving heals your memory as you change your memory's vision. When you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut out a malignant tumor in your inner life and you set a prisoner free yourself, yourself. Love, love forgives. It doesn't hold grudges against wrongs that have been suffered. It releases a wrongdoer. Release the wrongdoer from the resentment in your mind. Take him off the record, the, the, the ledger book. Take him off your notebook. Forgive. Forgive. Why? Why should we forgive? It's not just that it's a healthy choice. Most importantly, the reason why we should forgive is because God commands it. Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty-two. Ephesians chapter four, and verse thirty-two. It says this. It says this, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. You know, if you've received forgiveness in Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven an eternal debt that would have kept you out of heaven. If you've been forgiven a debt that large, there shouldn't be anything you're not willing to forgive someone else. Forgive. Love forgives. First Peter chapter 4 verse 8. Above all, love one another deeply. Love covers a multitude of sins. You just keep forgiving. It covers a multitude. Forgive and forgive and forgive. You know, Peter one time told Jesus, asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? You know, seven times? He thought that's pretty big Hard If I forgive somebody seven times, that's pretty good. What did Jesus tell him? No, 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 Peter. Not seven times. Seven times, 70. In other words, unlimited times. You don't count it. You just keep doing it. You forgive. And you forgive. That's what love does. That's what love does it should be your lifestyle forgiving should be a lifestyle it should be the pattern of your life as you as you follow the way of love forgiving as you have been forgiven amen follow the way of love as you follow the way of Jesus what are the characteristics of love that we've seen love is considerate it cares for the well beings of others, like a player on a winning football team, care for each other. Do, want, do we want to be a winning team? Amen. Amen. Winning team for the Lord. Love is also, cons- uh, not only is it considerate, but it's controlled. It's not easily irritated. It's, it, it's controlled. It doesn't lose its temper. Moses lost the blessings of the promised land. Anger can cause us to lose blessings. You know, control, love is controlled. It's not easily angered. Third, love forgives. Love forgives. It, does, it lives free of grudges, free of unnecessary pain, and is obedient to God's command, forgive as you have been forgiven. The workers at Fukushima showed an example of love when they put themselves in harm's way, and they did it for others they expose themselves to radiation so the young people would not have to. Jesus shows us the supreme example of sacrifice. When he died for us on the cross, he shows us what love is. He gave us the path to walk. Will you walk it? Will you follow the way? Father God, we thank you for the instructions that you give us, Lord. And we thank you, most importantly, for Jesus, who shows us the way of love. Who died for our sins and rose again. And now, Lord, we can have your spirit to help us. To help us to follow the way of love. To follow the way that you command. Lead us all, Lord. Lead us to follow you in loving As you want us to love, as you've shown us how to love, as Jesus gives us the example. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just we just come before you just today, Lord, and we just want to thank you for the love that you give us, Lord. We also want to ask you to, to bond us with the cords that will not be broken, Lord, that is the cords of love, Lord, that you give us. Father, we just thank you today for the message, and we thank you for for the messenger that you brought to us, Lord, and we just pray that everyone here understands the message, and let us let us love one another, this body, of believers known as Calvary Baptist Church, that we be united in love, Lord, and mercy for each other. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We ask you that as we go home in our separate houses, Lord, that you bring us back, that you keep us safe, that we may worship you again. And we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.